Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Athletes Rising. I'm your host, Kelly Gray. This week I was joined by my good friend, Chris Wingert. Chris is an American professional soccer player from New York. Grew up in Long Island. A longtime good friend of mine. We were teammates on the under-23 national team. We played against each other for years. He spent time with Columbus Crew, Colorado Rapids. Long time with Real Salt Lake. Got to go play in front of some hometown fans and by playing with New York City FC and won an MLS Cup with Rail Salt Lake in 2009. This conversation I think you guys are going to love. We get into everything from the youth soccer side of things, bringing up all sorts of old friends and, and big-time player names, Landon Donovan, Gucian Yewu, Alex Yi, Jordan Sila. Um, just a fun conversation, reminiscing about good old times, but what I found so interesting about it was getting into those moments where he didn't make a team. A lot of friends did, but he didn't make it. Or getting cut from a team. And just how resilient he was and the decision-making process that went into trying to figure out what the next steps were. I think that all listeners are really going to enjoy that thought process and hearing from somebody who was so massively successful in their career, just what that process was and how that actually helped him excel and get to the next level of the game. So please, without any further ado, uh, enjoy this episode of Athletes Rising with Chris Winger. Today's episode of Athletes Rising is brought to you by Cinch. Cinch is an API-driven sports management platform that simplifies the registration and management process for parents, coaches, directors, and organizations. No more jumping between apps or websites trying to figure out where all of your kids' information is. Cinch puts your entire sporting life in the palm of your hand. Do you or your organization run any kind of camps? Cinch is going to be your answer. Download the app, register your organization, create your camp program, and publish. It's as simple as that. All done from your tablet. Now any parents can search and register their players directly from their phone. You can manage all of your registrations, communications, finances, and even marketing all from your tablet. That's right, Cinch is a mobile app. So as an organization, you can have it with you out on the field as well as at home or in your office. To learn more about Cinch and all that it has to offer, visit the website at cinchhq.com or download the apps from the App Store and Google Play. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Athletes Rising. I'm your host, Kelly Gray. Today I am joined by the one and the only Chris Winger. Chris, thanks for uh, being on the show, pal. No problem. Thanks for having me, KG. It's great to uh, hear your voice and uh, looking forward same, to chatting man. a little. Same, same. So yeah, I want to just, we'll start at the beginning as, as I do with most guests. It's you know, how did you find the game of soccer? Yeah, for, for me, um, you know, it really was was from my dad. Uh, my dad uh, played himself back uh, back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, he went to Hartwick College and uh, which uh, back then was was probably the best um, college program on the East Coast, St. Louis. Yeah was really kind of dominant for a long time throughout the country. They lost um, in the final four to St. Louis, I believe my dad's junior, senior year. And he was a goalkeeper on that team. And then his coach 
Al Miller ended up going to coach um, the Philadelphia Adams in the old NASL, and they drafted my dad. My dad played there for a handful of years. He was actually the backup goalie to, to Bobby Rigby, but played with a bunch of guys uh, that you would know, Kelly, um, yeah. like Manny Shellshite and George O'Neill and all these guys. So um, anyway, he played. And then when I was growing up, um, I mean, I, I can't remember a time when I wasn't playing. So, you know, what age was I? I don't know, four or five probably when I started playing uh, in our small town club. And, and um, but I played every sport under the sun growing up. I mean, I, I was playing a ton of basketball up until up until probably eighth, ninth grade. I played just as much hoops as I did soccer. Yeah. Um, I was skiing a ton on the East Coast. Um, I was playing tennis and, and I, I played a little baseball when I was young. So I was playing everything. Um, but I think when, when people ask, I think, um, I I always kind of say when you're young, whatever sport you're best at, I think tends to be your favorite, even if you don't, um, kind of realize it because you're getting some attention. Right. Yeah. And, and, And so I, I absolutely love soccer but I don't know if I if I loved it more than I loved basketball or skiing, but I was just a bit better at it. So um, and also I think the writing was on a wall a little bit in terms of um, certainly not um, every young kid that's playing um, plans on being a professional. But I think you, a lot of times you have those dreams. Right. And of course. And, and I think uh, the writing was on the wall a little bit that the odds were going to be very stacked against me to, to ever make it in the NBA. Um, considering I was, you know, uh, I was going to be a, probably a five ten white guy. So, um, <laughs> it's not impossible. Our boy, Steve Nash has shown us, exactly, I mean, yeah. obviously he's taller than that, but has shown us you could be a superstar, um, and, and not be a, a, a huge guy. But at the same time, that was kind of, um, how I got into it. So, you said you started playing probably, uh, you know, organized around like four or five years old, maybe something like that. Um, was that just with a local, like local recreational program? Exactly. Um, so I started out in Babylon, which is my hometown. Um, our boy Aloisi's from North Babylon, which is actually yep. a different, uh, different school district, different town. Um, but I started out in Babylon and then ended up by the time we went to like travel soccer, we actually joined with North Babylon um, so it was like kind of the best kids from, from Babylon and then the best kids from North Babylon, but Aloisi's a year older than me. Um, so we weren't playing together yet at that point, but so we joined with North Babylon. Um, and then we started out in like the sixth division of Long Island junior soccer, which at the time was pretty much the only league, um, uh, the only travel soccer club league on Long Island. Um, yeah. and, and just gradually got better and better. And each each season, we would pick up like two two or three guys, and then we would drop two or three guys, and we were getting better and better until um, a, a guy named Jordan Sela, who you know, uh, oh, yeah. Jordan Jordan, we finally convinced to come over when I think I was in eighth grade, and then that kind of solidified us as the best team in in, in the state and and certainly on the island. Uh, and then after that, we went on to win you know a few state cups and. Um, the, the team changed, we changed like towns, um, and clubs a few times, but it was the same group yeah. of players. Uh, by the time we were in high school, it ended up being Comac United 
And I mean, we had pretty much um, all the best players on the island or most of the best players on the island. Other guys that you played with probably a little when you were first with with the youth national teams, Kelly, uh, Carlo yeah. Espinosa. You remember Carlo? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, Carlo played with us because he was our year in school. Jordan Sela. And then we had a few other regional team guys that were my age, 82s. And um, yeah, that was kind of it, man. We just gradually got better and better. And at the time, um, besides ODP, club soccer was was the thing, you know. So that was kind of what. At, at what age did you start playing travel ball? So I think we we switched from when I was playing, um, you know, intramural, I guess you would call it, um, yeah. to travel ball when I was, I want to say nine. So I think we went from Babylon and then joined with North Babylon Patriots uh, and really started playing travel ball. I would say when I was nine. So I pl- probably played in Babylon like four to, to seven or eight. And then we around eight or nine, we went and, and I know I was like uh, maybe a year later than some other guys in terms of uh-huh. that. And my dad, my dad was the assistant coach. We had a head coach named Tony Fabris, who was amazing. It's so funny seeing how the landscape is now because Tony was basically just a volunteer. I don't even think yeah. we paid him. And my dad certainly wasn't getting paid and he was kind of just behind the scenes, but, but uh, running everything and, and making sure that, uh, <laughs> that I could play whatever position I wanted probably. <laughs> and, uh, and making sure that, um, you know, that I was taking the free kicks and stuff. <laughs> uh, we were cheating a little bit. We were cheating a little bit. Um, but yeah, so, and then, and then, um, and then when I got, so that was probably, yeah, around fourth grade. And then when we got into eighth to eighth grade, so that was basically the same team up right before high school. And then that was when my dad took a step away. Uh, we actually changed teams. I ended up playing up a year for a few years with Aloisi, Carlos Mendez, um, and those guys. And, um, and then went back. Jordan did the same thing, but with uh, HBC, which was, which was Martino and Ed Buttle. Yeah. And those guys, so they were like yep. rivals for uh, – we were kind of the two best teams, and they were a bit better than us for uh, probably when I was in ninth and tenth grade. And then Jordan and I both went back to what at the time was was Comac United for the last couple of years. And then we even – the last year in high school, uh, we even stole Beckerman for a little bit, and he came up and just played <laughs> – No like, way from Maryland? For, yeah, you know, it was like that, that time because they were down in IMG, you know? And so yeah, when they exactly, came yeah. back, we just stole them and said, hey, just come play like the State Cup games so we can make a run at regionals, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But we actually That's never true. won regionals with that team because uh, the Delco team was, was a little bit better than us even. And then yeah. um, and then my last year, Comac didn't form, and I went down and joined forces with, forces with Ryan Kelly and, and yeah. uh, Vinny Bastidas and Jeff Park and those guys yeah. uh, to make a run at nationals uh, our last year. That's crazy, man. Yeah, God, I love. Haven't haven't thought about a lot of those. Guys. I had to, yeah, I had to throw those names, names out. Man. I knew yeah. I knew you'd appreciate that because you know all those guys and sure. obviously a lot of those guys were uh, were your age and and my age. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um. So so bringing it back. Um. So you said you started playing travel ball about eight nine years old. Um. And then you mentioned that you you didn't even you didn't stop playing other sports at that point. You kept it going. Um up until eighth grade or so you said with basketball, yep. right? Eighth grade yeah. freshman year. Or so um, 
how how like what was your parents mentality when it came to that like because travel ball is a big commitment and then playing other sports is a big commitment as well were they just super supportive of you just kind of doing what you wanted to do absolutely i think uh my mom really could could care less as long as i was working hard in school um both both my parents are teachers my sister's a teacher so all educators in the family i'm actually like the only one who's not and um so that was that was really important growing up um for me and my sister, my sister was valedictorian and, and, uh, my parents definitely put, uh, a decent amount of emphasis on, on that. And so, you know, I think, uh, I, all I cared about was sports growing up. I didn't care about music. I didn't care about, uh, about reading. I mean, I, I did, I will say that I, I studied hard, um, uh, but in terms yeah. of, uh, leisure, I mean, all I wanted to do was play sports. And so, yeah, I, they were very supportive in that. I don't think there there wasn't any um, any what I would call real pressure um, yeah. from from my parents in terms of playing soccer. But it was just that my dad knew soccer better than anything else. Um, he actually, my dad played baseball even in college as well. So uh, they were very supportive in whatever I wanted to do in terms of of playing sports. Um, and, and encouraged me to play all different sports. And then, you know, I, I understand now is a little different, right? The timing is a little bit different in terms of what kids are doing. And I get, there's a little bit more pressure, um, even just societal pressure to focus on one sport earlier. Uh, but yeah. I don't, I, I personally, uh, and I'd actually love to hear your, your side of this Kelly, sure. but like, I personally don't regret any of that. Like, I, I'm so glad I played these other sports and I think, um, there needs to be a balance there. Some kids are ready to give up everything and just focus on one sport from when they're eight, nine years old. And I just wasn't there at the time. Um, I, I can remember the time when it really switched for me um, was, was my freshman to sophomore year in high school. And uh, the reason why I know that is because my dad did used to push, but not, uh, you know, not, not too much. And he would push me a bit for us to go out and train on our own uh, when I didn't have practice or games. And I can remember once in a while I'd resist uh, and then he'd back off a bit. But that freshman year was the first year we could try out for that U17 team. And Beckerman wow. and Jordan, Alex Yee, Gooch, those yeah. guys made the team. Kenny Cutler, those guys made the team yeah. and I didn't make it. And Nor should I have, by the way. I wasn't, I wasn't good enough, but I didn't make it. And that was really the turning point for me the next year I was like obsessed with, with really training hard and trying to make it that following year. And I did, I did, uh, to, did make the pool that following year at the old school. You remember how it was where we just have that, that one weekend yeah. in like Cocoa beach or San Diego where you try yeah. out. And so yeah. I didn't end up making that U 17 team, but in the, you know, just that, that small tryout, I did make the pool and, um, and it was definitely due to just that, that hard work and putting in those hours. So, Anyway, going back to your question, I mean, I, I would encourage kids to continue to play other sports, especially if that's what their desire is, um, because yeah. I think that if you get burnt out too soon, then, you know, you're never going to take it any further. And that, to me, is the biggest um, the biggest hindrance in terms of a kid's development. Yeah, you know, my my personal philosophy, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners know this because I talk about it often, is I actually feel like specializing early hurts players development um, because I, I know that, you know, players that I have coached or even in my own experience, I 
I developed certain things from playing other sports that I would not have naturally developed as fast in soccer. Absolutely. Had I only been playing soccer. So, um, so like I, my go-to ones are, you know, playing basketball, you learn formation, you learn movement off the ball, you learn like structure and tactics and like playing hockey, you learn um, how to shield the ball, how to use your body. Um, and you work a lot on like leg strength and it's so much like side to side. And so if you just play soccer, you will learn those things in time, but you're going to learn them much later than you would if you just so naturally sport. Yes. Yeah. So I always say, and what I tell everybody and I preach this is play every sport under the sun, follow any kind of interest or passion and a player themselves will decide what sport is their sport when they're ready to. And it might not be until late, you know, for me, I chose soccer at, uh, I think I was 12 years old, but I had played a bunch of other stuff up to that. Um, and I mostly chose soccer. just kind of like what you said is like, I think I was just better at it than every other sport. Yeah. And, um, and then my friend group all chose it as well. And so I think that the problem is that in today's world, we see parents are very much driving all of the decision-making as opposed to just letting the kids like go their own way, make their own path. Let it be natural. Yeah. And, um, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say that the two best examples I could use, um, one is, is, is myself and, and one is our friend Kyle Beckerman. But for, for me personally, when I, was a, when I was a senior, I guess junior, going, going into my senior year, um, and then I had committed to St. John's University, Coach Mazer actually told me if it was up to him, I would have played basketball my senior year. And I was shocked because I was like, man, I, I probably would have played then. And part of the reason was I thought yeah. there was some pressure to not play and really focus on some off-season training, lifting some weights, you know, things like that. And he was like, are you kidding me? You know how good basketball is for your hips and your defense and just your agility, yeah. uh, all those things. Boxing out naturally, you, you learn how to use your body, um, helps with your yeah. toughness, all that stuff. And, and it was just a different kind of mentality or philosophy than I had ever heard. And I thought that was such a great point from from Coach Mazer, and I, I I probably would have played if I if we had had that conversation a few months earlier. And then Beckerman, uh, the the example that I use a lot, and I it, it's I, it's funny I've been talking to my nephew about it a ton um, because he's so stuck into soccer and he plays a lot of hockey too. But I would love him to yeah. wrestle, uh, and Kyle wrestled yeah. when he was a kid, and there is no yeah. doubt in my mind that it helped him tremendously in terms of obviously physical strength, but also just mental toughness, knowing how to go into um, and, and compete one-on-one -on -one and learn that from a young age. Uh, there was Kyle always had a little chip on his shoulder and, and a competitive advantage, I thought, even from when we first started playing together on the regional team when we were like 13. And, there, and then yeah. later on as we got to know each other, I found out how what a great wrestler his, his brother was, his older brother, two-time All-American at Nebraska, and he's now the coach at Brown. But Kyle was a state champion as a freshman in high school, and I, there was after hearing that and just seeing his work ethic and the work ethic that his parents instilled in him, there was no doubt in my mind that he was able to translate that onto the soccer field. Yeah, I mean, God, that's such a – I love that story. And, and knowing Kyle, obviously, it, 
it's uh, yeah. it's no surprise and i would agree with everything you said about that but well let's let's change gears a little bit let's go let's go and talk about what you said earlier about you going and trying out for that regional team or the national pool and not making the team but making the pool and what what was your what was your mindset when when that happened you know a bunch of your friends make it yeah what well so i actually remember this pretty vividly kelly so and i'll tell you why so right before we the the first tryout was february of 1997 so that was my my freshman year and right before that i actually went over to a buddy's house uh and there was a a senior in high school there named Rick Riccobono. And he was, he ended up being a professional baseball player. And he asked me, he said, uh, you know, what do you think? Cause I, we were talking about it and our other friends were saying, Hey, Chris is going to travel for the national team. He said, what do you think? You think you're going to make it? And I said, no, I don't think so because you know, I'm, I'm not even really always a starter on the regional team. And I, I just, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. And he was like, I know this is very cliche thing to say, but I was young at the time. And he was like, well, you're definitely not going to make it if if that's your mentality. And I and I went, yeah. and sure enough, I I, I did have that mentality. Um, and I remember thinking, I'll never forget this. So we the first trial was out in San Diego, in Chula Vista, and I, we played against. I think it was Region Three, and I I was playing center mid, and the kid I played against, I remember thinking, this kid is a bit better than me, and he's not going to make it. And he's a bit better than me, so there's no way that I'm going to make it. That that kid, I don't even <laughs> remember the kid's name, Kelly. Uh, the guys who stuck out were Demarcus for sure, um, and then yeah. obviously some guys on, on my team. Landon wasn't on the scene yet at that point, but Demarcus definitely stuck out. Nelson Aquari stuck out, I remember. But anyway, this this kid, this yeah. center midfielder, he ended up making it, and I remember like telling no myself, finding out afterwards. Like, man, I, so, I psyched myself out. Like, that kid, he ended up making it. He wasn't he, – you know, I did think he was a little better than me, but he wasn't a lot better. And, and so, anyway, I don't make it. That first year, actually, Gooch didn't make it. I believe it was uh, – I'm pretty sure I'm correct in saying it was Alex Yee, um, Kenny Cutler, Sean Kuykendall, and Jordan. Oh, no, because I'm missing uh, – maybe Alex didn't make it too and Beckerman. So anyway, and then I think uh, yeah. Alex and, and Gooch made it the following year. I forget. Anyway, those guys were, were really the guys that made it. And then um, that next year, so it was end of freshman year going into sophomore year, uh, and the following year was in yeah. Cocoa Beach. And I just remember I was like adamant. And I told myself, I'm like, no matter what, I'm going to just tell myself that I'm better than everybody I'm playing against. And, yeah, and I'm telling you, Kelly, to this day, it worked better than – any other time in my life. I don't know why I never was able to like quite channel this the same way again, but it seriously worked like a charm. <laughs> I, I remember we cha- trained extremely hard going up to that. Uh, Jordan's father, Renato, we were running all the time after practice and just making sure we were fit. And we went down to Cocoa Beach uh, sometime that winter and I played lights out. I remember the first game I scored and I was just, it was almost like that out of body surreal experience. And I remember thinking like, it's happened. Like this is, it's all happening. And then in the last day, if you remember when they used to do this, uh, so they had actually already like a 15 from the year before. So, you know, again, Jordan and and those guys were on that 15. And then Landon was, was like the new guy on the scene. That was his first tryout. And of course he was blowing everybody's mind. And then, and then they picked another yeah. 15 and, and I was included in that 15. And that was like, and we played a game at the end of the weekend and that was kind of the 30 that made up the pool. 
Um, and then what happened was um, Jay Miller was the coach at the time. And literally within yeah. a month, they fired him and br- and brought in uh, John Ellinger. And for, for whatever reason, yeah. I just never even got called into a camp after that. And again, not that I deserved it because – um, you know, I think if you're really deserving, you're going to get your shot. But, um, but anyway, I was, I was proud of, of just even that kind of weekend experience, that week experience down at Cocoa beach. And, uh, things really changed for me after that, um, kind of throughout that process, it was instead of my dad asking me and pushing me to, to go out and train, it was me asking him. And the year before I can, yeah. can specifically remember, I had just went to St. John the Baptist High School with with Aloisi and Cliff and those guys that you know, and I was meeting yep. all these new people and 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 these girls, and I just remember wanting to just hang out with my friends when we'd have time off, and my dad would be saying, "Hey, let's go train," and I can remember pushing back a bit, and then after that um, that first tryout in San Diego, everything changed. So yeah, man, yeah, that's. That's, a, I think, a really good story, though, because, like, you know, I think these days um, with all the parental pressure and the, the various pressures that all these players have, it's like you, you try out for that team and you don't make it. And it's so, like, disheartening for a player. And then you have everything else saying, like, well, I see, I mm-hmm. told you so, I told you so, that, like, I love hearing the stories of the players that just say, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, I want this. So I'm going to take it into my hands and I'm going to do everything in my power to make, make it so that if the coach doesn't pick yeah. me, the coach is a fool, yeah. you know? And just like you said, I think it's so much of it is just wrapped up in that confidence too, of what you were saying. Like, no, I am better than this guy. Like, I mean, I remember, I remember myself in, it was like high school age um, and, and it was with club teams. And I remember walking up to the fields and with a couple of teammates and my mentality in my head was like, man, these guys have no idea what's about to happen to them. Like, how do they, (laughs) so good. There's, there's 90 minutes here and they're, they're going to try, they're not gonna be able to stop me for 90 minutes. Like, are they crazy? Like, man, but it like, and it, and it worked, like you said, it worked. And I wish I could have like kept that mentality going throughout my even career. even like, your rational confidence, right? right? We used to we used to joke around yeah. about this with some of the guys at RSL, Cole Grossman, and a few of our buddies. We used to say one of the best qualities that you can have in sports is e- even irrational confidence. Because if you truly believe yeah. that you're better than you are, it's going to affect your performance. Uh, one uh, one thing I loved, I read Sir Alex's book. And he was kind of giving uh, yeah. Beckham a dig, your old teammate. But but while he was saying it, there there was a lot of truth to this. He said, David never thought he made a mistake. And to be honest, even though I know he was you know half joking and, and kind of giving him a dig, at the same time, it really helps you because you have that short-term memory if you truly if you truly believe yeah. that, right? And and sometimes it even comes if you if you don't maybe truly believe it, but you say it over and over and you force yourself to believe it, it's helpful because we see it the other way. Right. And when you, you start to get in your own head and tell yourself that you're not good enough and get down on yourself, of course it's going to affect your performance. How could it not? And so it has to, you have to do that. So many, no, no, you're good. Go ahead. ahead. Well, so, so many, I just see like so many kids just lack that confidence. And I'm wondering if like, 
especially in soccer, right, with, with the structure that has been in place with this development academy and, and, and all of that, like, with U.S. soccer, I feel like we're just developing these, uh, these little robots where if you show your creativity and you make a mistake, you mm-hmm. get reprimanded. And so instead of playing with that confidence that you and I are talking about, players are playing with the fear of making mistakes. And I see it in academy play. I see it in, you know, NPL play, you know, the lower levels of, of youth soccer. And it's so disheartening to me because, like, I truly believe that, you know, this is they call it the beautiful game because players express their creativity and their personality through through the play. And we just we just don't really focus on that anymore as a yeah we all we all go through that right your ups and downs of confidence and and i've i found myself even at times as a pro getting down on myself and going into games and not and trying not to make a mistake like you said and then all of a sudden um you've you're like there's no way i I, if i looked back there's no way i ever played a great game that way and it's easier said than done but you have to be able to you know to convince yourself otherwise and just say hey look even if it means that the coach is going to take me out or, you know, I'm not going to play still, I need to, I need to just do my thing and play my best and, and go from there. Because if you start playing like that in any sport, it's just not going to work. I think for me, especially with soccer, it's tricky. I try to tell all the young guys uh, that I speak to and certainly my nephew now who I'm around more than any other uh, young player is you can't let somebody yeah. else tell you how good or, for that matter, how bad you are, right? So, so you just yeah. can't let somebody else determine that. For, for better or worse, in soccer, as you and I know, it's not like other sports, especially other American sports, baseball, basketball, where they're so stat-based. So if you're hitting 300 yeah. on your baseball team, it doesn't really matter who the coach is or who the scout is. You're, you're probably the best player yeah. on the team or one of the best players on the team. Right. But in soccer, you and I, Kelly, two guys who I I think we both know the game pretty well, we could watch the same player and you could think he's great and I could think he's not so great or vice versa. And and so for me, I think the key is just to know that, look, if you're good enough, eventually you will make it. And and that was another thing my dad said to me. And I'm sure part of that was just to to make me feel better at at the time. But there was a lot of truth to this. He said (laughs) when I didn't make that that U-17 roster – for the World Cup, he said, "Hey, look, I get it, and there's nothing wrong with um, you know having those ambitions. But would you rather make it now, or would you rather make it when it's the Olympic team, or would you rather make it when yeah. it's the you know the World Cup team?" And obviously, I was never good enough yep. to to play on the World Cup. But you and I both played on the 23s for a long time, and he, you know, the the yep. point was a good one for my dad, and and I say that to a lot of the guys now is like, you know, you just have to kind of keep grinding through and. And eventually the right person is going to see you. And that, that's one of my favorite stories from, from my pro career too is I got cut from Colorado. And within a year, yep. I was on Real Salt Lake playing for a coach who I ended up playing for for 10 years. And I got my only full men's national team call up within a year. So I obviously wasn't a different player, right? I, I wasn't bad yeah. enough to get cut from an MLS team and I wasn't probably good enough to, to play on the full national team, but there's somewhere in between there. And neither one of those, one of those coaches who maybe both made a mistake, one cutting me and the other one inviting me into the national team. <laughs> but, but neither one of those guys should be the one to determine, you know, how good I am or, or how good I'm not. Right. So. 
No, no, completely. I, w- I want to go back to what you said about the stats, right? Because I think that stats play a big role today. You know, we have all the various tracking yeah. mechanisms and things that players um, use and, and parents use to evaluate their kids or to evaluate other kids that their kids are competing against. And uh, one of the, the point I wanted to make was the example that I always use in this is Andrea Pirlo. If you put Andrea Pirlo in any <laughs> kind of stat-based system, he's going to finish dead last, right? The guy never uh, worked – Never, I won't say he didn't work hard. The guy never moved faster yeah. than like a slow jog because he didn't need to. He was just that much smarter than everybody else. And yet he was the best player on the field yep. pretty much every day. And – so to all of these people that think that the stats are everything, especially in the game of soccer, Andrea Pirlo, World Cup winner, Champions League winner, uh, I think he was the MVP of of the World Cup in 2006. Like, this is a guy that every stat would tell you is going to be the worst person on the field. And I couldn't agree with you more, Kelly. And and this is a big thing now, especially in my world, as you know, now that I'm, I'm helping to represent players. Yeah. Um, and speaking to, you know, general managers and sporting directors, um, the, uh, the technology is, is becoming more and more prevalent in the game. And this isn't to say there's not a place for it. I think there is a place for it. And maybe this is me being old school, but I'm with you. I think it's, it's when it comes down to it, it's all about the eye test. Um, and, and I think that there yep. is, there's just, there's always exceptions to the rule. Right. And I, I don't think you can base a, a game or a team on on stats, and I, I just think that anytime you you take that um, to the next level, you're in danger of missing out um, and being blinded by those things. And I, I love the Andrea Pirlo, um, you know, example that you use because if anything, right, the the one stat that he probably uh, could have done better than anybody else in the world is is possession, right? So if he or, or pass, yeah, or, and pass is completed. Maybe. If he wanted to, yeah. um, if he wanted to, he could probably complete 99% of his passes because that's the ability he has. And it's it's funny. I remember that game we played against Italy. You remember? It was the In first Italy. ever game yeah. we played yep, with course. the 23s. And I didn't know who he was at the time. He, he had just, I had no he idea. He had just went to AC Milan. And the big story, if you remember, yep. was Cassano had gotten transferred to Roma, but for thirty million, yep. and I was still in college, you know, getting a, a, a couple yeah, bucks uh, of um, of cash from from St. John's to to try to get by each month. But but um, yep. but I remember, and he wasn't on; he was on the bench, Cassano. But I remember thinking I was trying so hard in that game and just basically playing two touch and. And sprinting around, and I remember thinking yep. in the game, this guy who's not really moving very fast. It's not like you know you're watching a game with Ronaldo and he's bigger, stronger, faster than everybody. And it's obvious. It's like I'm not sure what he's doing, but he's the game just looks so easy to him, and that's his genius, right? And he yep. probably lost some balls in that game because he tried to you know play thread the needle, play, play through balls, yeah, whatever. The needle. But yeah. again, that goes back to what you're saying. You would never want him not to do that and to now start playing the match around these stats that somebody's keeping track of. What's the point of that? And so, yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think um, 
I think there's a balance there, and I think people get too caught up in the stats of the game. Even for even for forwards, where goal scoring obviously is a statistic that matters, I think uh, you and I have both played with great players um, who who maybe aren't lighting up the stat sheet as much as they possibly could if that was the main focus. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is like I, I can think of players that I played with. Alejandro Moreno comes to mind where. He played such an important role of just holding the ball up and bringing other players into the attack that without him, his teammates would not have scored the goals that they scored. And I would say the same thing with Brian Ching, right? And Brian Ching has a great uh, scoring record. But Ching, for me, man, what he did was it wasn't the fact that he scored goals. It was the fact that he was so strong and able to hold the ball up to bring the entire team into the offensive half of the, of the field. Like that was the huge value that he brought. Now, both of them had the ability then to just turn and, and get in the box quickly and, and finish. But it's, it's those things. That you, you can't really you like can't measure those things. Right. For, that, exactly. For a number of different reasons. Ching's a great example. He was in that one camp that I was in for the national team. And I remember going yeah. into the camp and thinking, why is Brian Ching good? He's not that good. In, in my head, I'm thinking – he, you know, he's not special in any really in any real area for a guy that plays big. He's actually not that big, you know. He yes, he's good in the air, but like mm-hmm. you know, he shouldn't be as good in the air as somebody that's six three, six four. And and I went, we went into the camp, yeah. and I had that mentality, and I played with him, you know, two days for for six weeks, and I left the camp thinking Brian Ching was by far the best forward in that camp, and, and hands down, <laughs> yeah. and. Um, you know, it was just an example of, like you said, you can't put, um, you can't put a stat on those things that a guy like that brings to the table. And, and even for me, the most underrated quality in all of sports, not just in soccer is decision-making. You, you, you can't possibly know about a a player's decision-making until you play with them every day or until you watch them every day. And that even happens within the sport, right? So, you know, you can watch a guy juggle a ball. You can watch him run, run a 40. You can watch him run a fitness test. And you could say, this guy's got everything. He's got technique. He's got speed. He's got fitness, whatever. But you can't put a a value on the player's decision-making. And that's what clearly separated, obviously, you know, his skill was there too. But separated a guy like Zidane or a guy like Pirlo, um, even a guy like Landon, even a guy like Landon who I felt like was – you know, for a long time, the leading goal scorer in the league, but really could have scored a ton more goals, but he chose to make what he thought was the right decision nine times out of 10 and was just as good of a passer probably and a setup guy as he was a goal scorer. Yeah. And you see that what came from that was maybe instead of him winning the golden boot, his team would win the championship. And 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 how many times he won, how many championships? And even when he was 19, and tw- yeah, seriously, and 19 and 20, and he was carrying those San Jose teams. He was really the guy that was carrying them through the yep. playoffs. And they, you know, not to take away from those other guys, they had a lot of great players. But 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 Landon was already, if no. not the guy, certainly one of the guys at such a young age. And he wasn't winning the MVPs of the league at that point. He wasn't, like you said, you know, winning the Golden no. Boot every year. And he probably he probably could have. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, such a, such a good lesson to learn from from all that. Um, let's let's change gears again here. Let's talk about yourself and um, now you you are, I'd say junior year, probably high school. You know the talent that you have. 
and now it's time for college. Let's let's talk about that kind of process for you and what was that like of one realizing oh my gosh I'm gonna get to play in college uh, oh my gosh I'm probably gonna get to play the D1 program and then uh, just kind of where your head was yeah I think as a player. Norm uh, and this is natural throughout your your career as an athlete right you're always kind of reestablishing goals um, and so you so you you kind of accomplish one thing and then immediately your head or as you're accomplishing that and seeing it um, come into, come to fruition, I should say, then you're already like thinking about the next thing. Right. And that's always happening until you get to a place where yep. you're like probably ready for retirement. So, uh, so I think that was happening along <laughs> yeah. the way. Um, I certainly, I was getting, um, a, a lot of love from colleges, but I definitely was not one of the top guys coming out. So again, even in my area, that was Jordan yeah. Sela, that was Carlo Espinoza, um, and then I was kind of like maybe a second tier type guy, um, and, and still having a, mm-hmm. a lot of love from, from different schools around the country great schools. But I would say like the, 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 the schools that really had their pick of the litter, like at, at, for our age, it was still on the East coast UVA, right? Uh, UVA was still like the UVA, place to yeah. be. And I grew up watching those, those nineties teams. And then my sister went yep. to UVA and she's four years older than me. So she didn't play soccer, but but then I would go down to Clockner and watch those games when she was there and watching guys like yeah. Mike Fisher and, and Benny Olsen and these guys. And then yeah. uh, I can remember going out to right, visit yeah. Robbie Birch and Keith Beach at Maryland, Stevie Armis, and those guys were down there and, and watching them play against UVA. And so anyway, um, I was recruited by Maryland. I was recruited by UConn, which was really on the up and up at that time. Uh, those were probably the best like soccer yeah. schools but the, the biggest thing for me was I, I knew this um, before I went. I had three real objectives. One was to be able to, to play right away um, as a freshman. Two was yep. to win a national championship. And three was to be a pro afterwards. Yep. So um, I wasn't able to, to win a national championship, but we came darn close. And uh, if not for our boy, Nick Gravavoy, um, scoring a winner against me. <laughs> in the final, um, but, but uh, we came yeah. close to that. And I felt like St. John's was a great balance with that for a couple of reasons with Maryland and with UConn. I knew the coaches were great to me in recruit in the recruitment process. And I knew they wanted me, but they, they weren't desperate to have me and they were very upfront about that. And I, I appreciated yeah. that. And I've remained friends with, uh, with Sasho and, and Ray Reed to this day. And, um, and I actually appreciate that. I appreciated that from them at the time. Whereas I knew I was kind of St. John's, top guy and so I now nobody was gonna uh, yeah. guarantee me a starting spot and I'm sure you were the same and not you would you would never expect that but yeah. I I knew with that and the package the financial package that they were offering there was a good chance I would play right away which I did so so that was awesome and I knew that even though St. John's was getting what I would call like the second tier recruits um, they could still compete with those top teams in the ACC and the big East and, and, you know, when we would play the West coast teams and whatever. So, um, so that was a big thing for me. And, and in hindsight now it was a hundred percent the right choice. Um, You know, this goes back to a little bit about what we were saying about how there's, there's really no stats and it's all, you know, soccer is a lot of perception. I I was smart enough to realize at the time, even if I disagree with Mazer, I have to do my best um, to, to get on the same page as him because that's the only way I'm going to have success. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I have to give myself a little bit of credit that even th- things down to like the fitness tests that I knew were very important to him. I, even if I disagreed, I didn't think they were quite as important. I was adamant that I'm going to make these runs because that's going to then allow him to even subconsciously appreciate me and my work ethic and, and kind of be on my side, if you will. And that's exactly how it played out. I went in, made the three mile in under 18 minutes, which I knew was a big thing to him. Um, And as stupid as that sounds like that honestly set me off on the right path. And then Mazer was, and this was back to when, uh, of course, I don't have to tell you, but this was back to when video wasn't as big, right? And so what Mazer was telling yeah. all these other people, which is, oh, you know, Chris is one of our best players, whatever he was saying, people are kind of believing it. Whereas yeah. if you and I watch college basketball, yeah. everybody in the country watches college basketball, we, ha- we all have our own opinion on the players and the teams, right? And that's not really the case with college soccer. So, you know, most most teams around yeah. the country aren't getting real national coverage and there's not a ton of people watching outside of their own community until probably the Final Four. And so, anyway, that worked to my advantage yeah. and uh, that was kind of my mentality going into school. Um, and then to take it to the next level, Kelly, and I know I'm, I'm taking your question and running with it, but I, I didn't know no, I that I was going to be a pro until I started playing with, with you and with, with Kyle and those guys on the 23s. And yeah. so what happened was, and this is so funny how things, but again, I am a true believer in things kind of work out, eventually work out if you're good enough. I say to this day, my sophomore year, Shaori Joseph and Jeff Mateo really, but Shaori especially carried us to the final four. I mean, it, it was like a joke. Like he literally, yeah. he would play center back next to me. He, we would keep it zero, zero till half. We put him up top for like 10, 15 minutes in the second half. He would score. And then Mazer would move him back to play defense and we'd win one nothing. And that was how we went through the Big East. We yeah. won the Big East tournament. Then <laughs> we won the three games uh, to make it to the Final Four. And I think he had five game winners in six games. It was like, a, it was like Little League stuff. It was a joke. He was a man of all boys. And, but because yeah. I, was, I was playing the Final Four with them, I got called in by Mooch, you know, to, to train with you guys with the 23s. And, yep. and then it was up to me, obviously, to, to earn that spot and, and earn my keep and stick, and stick around. But I, I was laughing at the time. Jordan Seal and I used to talk about this all the time. It's like in high school, he got all the love. And by the way, he deserved it. Um, and, but, 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 oh, yeah. and then yeah, in yeah. college, I got all the love. And I, I don't know if I deserved it. I'm like, our teams were get, was getting shutouts because of the way we played, the way St. John's played was very defense oriented and yeah but like the guy next to me the goalkeeper they never got any credit every time we got a shutout i'm <laughs> on the team in a week and all that stupid stuff and i'm like you know not that i was complaining but <laughs> it was like i don't know if if i'm you know if i'm deserving of all this and and um but like i said then you get your opportunity and then you know um the coaches like for the national team for instance they have to watch you and but that was when when I started playing with you guys was when it hit me because half of you guys, and I think you were one of them, you, yeah. you went in that draft, right? That, that year before or no? Brad in there? I went, so yeah. we were talking about our Italy game, our Italy game earlier. It was after that game, I think. Yes. We were all sitting around yes. in a hotel in Sicily Brad, yep. and me and Martino and Brad Davis yep. hitting refresh on the computer waiting to see I remember I 100% remember so so that so, so when you yeah, got yeah. and I, I was with you guys yeah. 
um, you know, we're watching and all yep. curious for you guys and excited for you guys. And then, and that's when it hit me. We got home from this and, and my like national team career, if you will, had just started like basically a month before that when we had our first camp yeah. in Cali. And I'm like, so I went from yep. that to now, like, I'm like, whoa, like, okay, if I'm on this level, I'm probably going to be a pro now barring, you know, so, so that was pretty cool for me yeah. because that's when it hit me. I'm like, even if I, I wasn't, um, you know, good enough to be drafted with you guys, but it, it kind of hit me that I was like, okay, now there's this, this, this is a real, uh, a real chance that this is going to happen, whether it's in a year from now or, you know, two years from now. Yeah, no, I, I mean, my, my experience was similar too. It was, uh, when I realized it was a possibility was we had, we were in camp in Chula Vista and it was before the U20 world cup. And I think it was Todd Durbin from MLS came down and put all of us in a room and just said, we want all you guys to sign MLS contracts. And I just kind of like giggled and like, he just like looks at you stone face. <laughs> like, oh, oh damn. He's, he's serious. And uh, I remember that moment just being like, Oh my God. Like, wait, what? Like there's a chance yeah, I could be a so pro. Cool. Like that's crazy. And it's nuts, man. And yeah. And that, that draft was, uh, it was just such a, such a funny time. Cause like I said, I think, I think we were the only three players on that team that were in that draft. Cause we went a year ahead of everybody else. Cause we were a year. I ahead remember of it was, it was um, only a handful of you guys. And then the next year they really put the yeah. pressure on the rest of us to leave. And this is probably something you don't even remember. Yeah. Cause why would yeah. you, but I ended up being the only guy that stayed in school. So everybody left. And, you know, I, I, and I remember that, calling that, Mooch like yeah. and I said to him, I said, you know, Mooch, um, if I don't leave school, are you going to cut me from the team? Because that might play a factor, you know? And, and I, I was torn. Of course, I wanted to go pro. Yeah. But obviously, um, you know, we, they yeah. weren't exactly financially enticing us. Is <laughs> a nice way to put it. And, and of course, I wanted no. to, to <laughs> no, you know, to leave and, and tell all my friends that I was leaving. But I also felt like if I leave and I'm not playing right away, is that really, you know, the best decision, even for my soccer career? I know my mom was distraught. Like they, they left it up to yeah. me to make the decision. But my mom was definitely thinking like, please don't do this. Don't leave school early. And I was on pace. I was on, on track to, to graduate yeah. um, the following year, but in December so that I wouldn't even have to go back to school after. So my dad was definitely yeah. like 50-50. He saw the soccer side and he saw the, the school side and it was kind of like, it's just up to you. Um, but I was torn. And the first game after everybody made the decision, we went down to Mexico. If you remember when we, when we beat them and Testo scored from midfield, you remember that? Game? And yeah, oh, you did right. too. Yeah. Geez. And, yeah so we were on sports center and whatever. Yeah, and, um, so in, but we were losing in the first half, if you remember. So we were losing and he benched me that first game. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, man, I can't believe this. Like, you know, is it because of, of, you know, me not leaving school and whatever, but then obviously when we went on to win the game and I got to play the second half and the rest is history. But, yeah. um, it, for me, you know, again, did I know it was going to work out like this? Of course not. But it was the right decision because my senior year was great. I loved my senior year. Unfortunately, we lost in a final uh, to Indiana, but it was a great season. And even as a pro, I felt like I was more ready at that point. I was 
a year more mature, which I needed. Um, I think, you know, things would yeah. be different now with the way the landscape is, but at the time it was the, it was the right move for me. Yes. Yeah, no, but that's such a, it is such a tough one, you know, and I remember having those same conversations with my folks about, you know, man, do I, do I go pro now or do I wait? You know, yeah. I, I have a great situation at Portland. Um, my parents, just like you are, are very education oriented and, um, and so what we ended up deciding was it was going to be best for me soccer wise to continue to develop by playing with players that are better than me day in and day out. I didn't expect to get any playing time as a rookie. Um, I had no idea obviously where I was going to end up going, but if I wanted yeah. to play in the Olympics and that was my goal, then the best thing to do was going to be to go pro. Now the only way my parents agreed to that was, and thankfully the system was in place was to sign project 40 so that Nike would pay for the rest of my schooling. And then I had to um, promise my parents that I would get it done uh, before the yeah. money would, would run out. And it was, I think a 10 year window. And, uh, but yeah, it was a, I, I remember that the, the it's, it's extremely tough. And that's a, that's what I tell so, all the young guys now that ask. Uh, and obviously some of these guys that I'm helping now. Yeah. And the, the only answer I can give them is, yep. There, there is no, there's not one universal answer. Everybody is different. And I just use the guys that are my age. And I say, look, I wasn't getting offered a, a contract out of high school, but um, you know, Kyle and Landon and, and DeMarcus, those guys left right out of high school and it ended up being the right choice for them. But for all of the Landon and yep. DeMarcus and Kyle's nobody, I mean, you and I do, but, but the public doesn't know about the other 10 guys that accepted those contracts who, who didn't pan out. And then we're maybe scrambling yep. a few years later. So, so really the answer exactly. is just um, is every individual is different and you need to take it on a case by case basis. There's no, you know, there's no one universal answer for everybody. So let's talk about this then, um, you know, that, that whole transition of going into being a pro. Tell me about your first year as a pro walking. I was so, I was so, so fortunate um, with the way things panned out in Columbus. So um, again, you and I were together during this, uh, during the draft that year. And so we were, um, you know, training uh, before the Olympic qualifying and um, out in, in Cali, and it was like a, the only guys that were in the yep. draft with me were the younger guys. So Chad Marshall, uh, who ended up being the number two pick after Freddie Adu. Um, yep. And and I got picked 12 overall. And then actually Ned got picked, I think, right after me, 13. But um, I don't think Ned was with us at that point. But anyway, so uh, so yeah, Chad and I – and yeah. back then there was only 10 teams. So 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 even though I was yes, – it's crazy right. – so even though I was the 12th about. pick, I was this, it was the second round at that point. So, so Chad got taken yeah. two, second yeah. overall to Columbus, and then I got taken 12th to Columbus. And my, I remember my mentality was just, look, like I just want to go wherever somebody wants me and wants to give me a chance. I, I didn't care where that was. And, yeah, totally. and ironically, Chad and I were actually rooming together um, at the time in, in L.A. So that was kind of fun. That was kind of fun for us. And they, they okay. made him fly out and go to the draft because they knew he was going to be, you know, a top pick. Um, but I, yeah. and, and you know, who ended up, I think was, was the third pick was your boy, Joe and Gwenya. Joe, Joe was, Joe was Joe. with me with the, yeah. the Herman trophy stuff, but 
what a player he was. And, and also to tie in, if you remember, um, my old girlfriend that I dated forever, Kirsten, she went to coastal Carolina. So I kind of, I knew Joe throughout that process, whatever. He was a great guy, but anyway, so, um, so they were the top three picks. Uh, Clint Dempsey was the eighth pick, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't playing with us at the time either. So anyway, um, so I get drafted to Columbus. Obviously, we're away with the Olympic team through qualifying and all that stuff. And then Chad and I go a little bit late to preseason, as I'm sure we all did. And, um, man, things could not have been better. I mean, the guys were like we – had, we had Robin Frazier was, was the captain and ended up being the defender of the year that year yep. at 37 years old. And he just took Chad and I under his wing. Yep. And like, he was just amazing, man. I mean, I couldn't ask for a better mentor. Um, I, I actually really played midfield yeah. pretty much that whole year. We played a three, five, two, and I played left midfield and, um, and Frankie played, played right midfield. So of course I, I, I look like, uh, the yeah, most yeah, unfit sure. guy compared to Frankie on the other side. Oh my gosh. But I, I think <laughs> it was more of just a Frank. thing of like, okay, this rookie is just going to run his tail off and work as hard as he can, and, and we'll just stick him out there. Yep. And so, um, you know, but we had an unbelievable team that year. We ended up winning Supporter Shield. We had, like, the unbeaten run for a long time. Yep. Uh, I think it was, like, 18, 19 games. And then um, we went into the playoffs, and I'm still a little bitter about this, but we went into the playoffs, and we lost one nothing at New England. And then we came home, and we missed two penalties. And, uh, and, and I think we ended up like tying the game, whatever. So New England went through and then they had that epic Eastern conference final against DC, uh, that went to penalties and DC won. And then DC ended up winning the the title that year. But, um, but man, Columbus was incredible. We just had like an unbelievable mix of these veteran guys and good young core. So the veterans were like Robin Frazier, Simon Elliott were the, the captains, um, Duncan out and yep. Ross Pauly were like the late twenties, mid twenties, late twenties. Uh, Brian Mazenoff, yeah. who was uh, just unfortunately finishing his career because of injuries, but like was like the best teammate ever. So supportive. Um, and then we yeah. had like a great group of of young guys as well. We had like um, Kyle Martino, Edson Buttle, Dave Testo, Chad Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? Do we, I'm missing some guys, but we, we had this like great, great, you know, kind of combination of the two. And unfortunately the following year we got off to a, a rough start and uh, they fired the coach, um, Greg Andrews and, and Bobby Warzia saw us out the rest of the year. And then, um, and then Ziggy came in and, um, and Ziggy, yeah he had some like some history with a couple of the older guys um, that didn't maybe go over so well, Robin and Simon and these guys. So they were kind of like on their way out. Robin was going to retire. Simon was going to Fulham over in the EPL. Um, It was just a transition period. And, um, and, and Ziggy, and Ziggy credit to him. He just wanted his own team. And, and again, testament to him. I mean, of course, yeah. Within a couple of years, they, they were, the best team in the league and went in support shield and win the championship. And he created that team. Yep. So, um, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for that. So, uh, but everybody was kind of on the trading block at that point. And I think the only guys that ended up staying long-term were Chad and Duncan uh, and Frankie. 
I think those were the only yep. three guys on the whole team who stayed longer than like maybe, you know, two years. So anyway, but Columbus was an amazing, yeah. amazing place for me. Yeah. I love those guys. We had, and when I was there, this also shows you how great it was. Cause when I was there, I remember thinking like Columbus is incredible and like, what a great place. And like, a couple of the most fun nights to this day that I ever had were when you guys came to town and when Colorado oh. came to town. I remember just like how much fun we would have. Oh, and, my God. Um, yeah. And what a great scene it was. And then – it Vegas, seriously. Man. And then when I left, though, I remember looking back and being like, yeah, the city really wasn't that cool. It was like just because we had such a great group of guys, you know? So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. So, so let's talk – let's jump from there to um, – to when you end up getting cut like that's a that's this a is actually a great story moment. kelly and i i don't know if i've ever told you this um but and i'll try to to not go on for too long but this is you 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 are on the, you are on the other side of this as long as you can as well so this is going to be crazy so <clears throat> what happened was yeah um that was back when they had the the semi-guaranteed contracts and so for the listeners who don't know what that is, basically yep. they could um, they could cut us before July 1st and then they wouldn't have to pay us the rest of the year, right? And so um, so that was that was always a big day for for all of of us that were in jeopardy of, of maybe getting released and past that July yeah. 1st date. Get, get then what they date, did, yeah. which was such BS, it was just a way to like um, give them which obviously was was not good for the players they could extend that date ask you to extend that date to september 1st so so give this extension so basically you were like in limbo for another two months of like of possibly getting cut so what happened was um fernando came up to me this was like late june and fernando came up to me and said um Mm -hmm. Gosh, this was so. This was 2007. So I get traded to, to Colorado in beginning of 2006. I'm starting right away. I'm supposed to take Nat Borcher's place. He goes over to Norway. I'm starting at center back next to Mike Pecky. Actually, dude, you know what was uh, one of the downfalls was Ching. Your boy Ching scored four goals on us in one game in the beginning of the season. And I and I remember I was playing outside back. That's right. And I remember yeah. we were we used to joke around about it, saying we got. Ching on that World Cup team because he scored four goals and if you, and obviously you remember oh, too yeah, it was a big sure. thing that that Taylor didn't make the team and we anyway so yeah, so yeah. somehow um, Fernando came in reamed out the center backs at halftime they got into like a fight at halftime in that game because I think he had a hat trick in the first half somehow on Tuesday and I was playing left back against Mullen and somehow on Tuesday. We go over the video, and I was the scapegoat. It was like, "Oh, you're not, you're not blocking the crosses or something, you know, something <laughs> like that." And I was just like, "Wait a minute, what's hey, what's going yeah. on here?" And sure enough, I got pulled from the lineup. Whatever. Anyway, the rest of that season goes, and I'm like, I'm going like five games at a time, not playing a minute. And in Columbus, I was pretty much a starter the whole time, yeah. and I played all these different positions. And so I was like, I, w- I remember going in and talking to Fernando and just being like, "Hey." Like, if you guys don't see me as, like, a significant part of the team, it's no big deal, but let me go somewhere else. But I'm sure for his, you know, side of things, yeah. he's like, this kid, Chris, can play a few different spots. He's making, like, no money. You know, let's just keep him happy, and if we can use him, we can use him. If yep. we can, who cares? So I was really frustrated, 
And then in the playoffs, I started every game and we went and played you guys. Were you at Houston at the time? I think you were, right? Oh, 07. Oh, oh, seven. Yeah, it, uh, no, oh, six. Oh, six. Oh, six. Oh, yeah, you were there because you guys won. So, yeah, so we played. Houston. Yes. And, and you won the championship, yeah. too. We won, I think. So I'm like, so we played you guys in that Western Conference Finals, which, by the yeah. way, yeah. was one of the all time great atmospheres. If you remember, we came out to the Braveheart soundtrack, and everybody oh. in your stance had those white towels. It was amazing. Yeah. It was like chills. But, and we scored first. Yeah. Jovan, Jovan scored on a penalty in the beginning. And then you guys yeah. waxed us after that. But anyway, so I started every game in the playoffs, and I was like, okay, maybe things are turning around, you know. And then beginning of 2007, same thing happened. I, like, started in the beginning, and then I was just, like, benched forever. Um, so as this is happening, I'm, like, reaching out to everybody I can. And you could tell that these other teams are, like, you know, not really sure. Jason Christ takes over at RSL. He's probably feeling, like, he shouldn't be talking to me. But at this point, I'm like, I don't care. What are they going to do? You know, said, please, I've been asking for a trade forever. Yeah. Um, nothing's really happening. Anyway, so it, it's like late June now. And Fernando comes up to me and says, Chris, we need you to sign this extension. So I read the, the contract and it's basically that extension from July 1st to September 1st or whatever it was. And I'm like, no chance. Yeah. I'm not signing this. I've been asking to leave for, you know, a year anyway. So I go back yeah. in to tell him I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to sign it before I have a chance to tell him, he goes, don't worry about it. You don't have to sign that something changed and you know, you're all good. So I'm like, all right, sweet. Like it's not even a thing, blah, blah, blah. That weekend we yeah, go great. to DC yeah. Pecky. I didn't start the game. Pecky got hurt in the beginning or something. And I come in, in the first half, I play the rest of the game, play really well. We win. And we go – it was a Thursday game, I think. We go right from D.C. To, to Chicago, and we have a game in Chicago on Sunday. You're going to love this story because it's all of our buddies. So I go right to Chicago on Sunday, and <laughs> I'm, like, thinking I'm going to start on Sunday. You know, everything's good, whatever. On Friday night, I'm yeah. going to the, the John Mayer concert with, with, with Logan Paws and, and Wes Martino, <laughs> right? Of we course. land. I'm on the phone. This is yep. true story. I'm on the phone with Aloisi in the hallway. We just get into – we're staying at that Podunk Hotel um, in like Midway somewhere. And before I'm going to head downtown, yeah. we have like a pool regen. And Eric Carlson, the admin, comes and he, he hands me a contract, and a piece of paper. And I'm on the phone with Aloisi. And I read it and it's the same thing. And, I, and I'm like – I said, Weasel, hold on a minute. And I said, Eric, it's all good. I talked to Fernando. I don't have to sign it. And he was like, when did you talk to him? I said, oh, two days ago. He goes, he just handed me this five minutes ago. And I said, what? So I said, I said, Aloisi, I got I to gotta go. So I, I hung up. I go right up to his, his room. And him and John Murphy are in there, the assistant coach. And I said, what's this? And they say, yeah, sorry. We didn't think you're going to have to sign it. But yeah. now we need you to sign it. I said, I'm not signing it. And they said, John Murphy said, what are you going to do if, if you know, you get released and, and you, you don't have another team that picks you up? And I said, I'll move on with my life. Like, I'm not trying to, like, beg to be a part of a team. I said, I think somebody else is going to pick me up. And if they don't, yeah, so be it. I'll think, you know, like, whatever. I'm not trying to beg you guys. So, anyway, they were hoping yeah. I would sign it. A couple hours go by. I'm not signing it. They release me. Now I'm like, do I go to the pool regen? I don't know what to do. I go to the concert, right? I go <laughs> no, to the concert God, no. with these guys, 
And uh, yeah. I, I probably shouldn't be saying this on on uh, on the air, but I, I have a little too much to drink. Let's put it that way. And and I wake up the next day and I'm like, what is going on? You know, like I got no job, I got no team, I got yeah. you know, like what happened? My pets' heads are falling off. Yeah. You know, all that. So I go back to New York and I'm at my parents' house <laughs> for a couple of weeks, just trying to stay fit. I'm talking to everybody. Robin Frazier's calling me. He just went to Real Salt Lake as the assistant coach, who I'm close with. He's saying, what are you up to? Martino calls me, KG. And he's like, wing, Chris Albright just did his knee. Frank Yallop wants you in LA. So I'm like, done. This is crazy. Yep. Dude, I remember this so well because yes. I remember talk. I, I was with Martino. Yep. And I'm sure, of course, I'm with all our boys, right? Like everybody's in Chicago. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah. I'm like, okay, done. Let's do this. So I'm like so pumped. I get on a flight. They're like, come out here. They just want to make sure I'm healthy, whatever. Come out here. I'll train with you guys for a few days. I'm literally going to arrive the same day as Beckham, like yep. the exact same day. Frank's like, come out here, yep. you know, and we just need to make sure you're healthy, whatever, and we'll sign a contract. I'm like, done. So I fly out. I stop in Denver to pick up my stuff yep. because all my stuff is in Denver, right? Stop in Denver. I land yep. on my layover, and I have a voicemail from Robin Frazier, and he's like, what are you doing? Call me immediately. So I call him back. I tell him, I said, I'm going to LA. And he said, do you sign yet? And I said, no, not yet. He goes, come to Salt Lake. And I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, so now I'm See, like thinking, is, I okay, I could be with you guys, yeah. my boys in LA on, you know, Beckham's coming, whatever. But the only negative in my head was I'm like, what happens when Albright gets healthy? And like, I'm trying to like have a career somewhere. I'm not trying to yeah. go somewhere for six months. So of course I wanted to go to LA and you guys were like the best team in a league and I, and Salt Lake was by far the worst team in the league. But I'm also thinking I'm going to go somewhere where the coach knows me and loves me. Well, the assistant coach knows me and loves me. So like, and they yep. suck. So I'm like, I'm going to be one of the best players on the team, you know, like whatever. Yeah. So, so like, I and, can play. and I was talking to Jason. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so I go to Salt Lake. I don't sign anything. And I was very upfront with, with LA. I tell Frank, and I'll never forget this. I'm in this podunk hotel in the middle of Salt Lake City, a motel actually. It was a motel. And Frank, I call Frank and we talked for 45 minutes and he was so cool and so nice. And in a nutshell, he, I'm sure, was thinking like, kid, yeah. are you an idiot? Like, you can come here and be on the best team in the league and play with David Beckham and, yeah. and your buddies and whatever, or you can go to Salt Lake City. And, yep. but he was like, but I'm not going to force you. Like, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, I couldn't even like explain the whole thing. And I was just thinking like, I get it, but I'm just, I, I had a gut feeling. I was like, I'm just, I'm going to go to Salt Lake. And this is so weird KG, but it goes back to what we were talking about before. All the biggest decisions in my life, I did it. It wasn't obvious. And, and after just praying about it and thinking about yeah. it, I just, for me, it ended up being the non-sexy choice, what I would call it non-sexy choice. St. John's was not the sexy choice. Like the sexy choice would have been Maryland yeah. or an ACC or whatever. And, and same thing with, yeah, with Salt Lake yeah. versus LA. But, um, and then the first few months I was talking to you guys and I'm like, this is crazy. Like every week you're going to some amazing function and I'm in this like, you know, city yeah. that's terrible and I got nothing going on and, you know, no, no friends at first and whatever. <laughs> it's just like I'm like, what am I doing? You know, the beer only has like um, three and a half. But <laughs> obviously, things played out exactly how I had hoped, and 
and I ended up, you know, I ended up following Jason around for the yeah. next decade. So, but it was a crazy story. So I was in Salt Lake for How many years eight seasons Lake? after that, then left for a year to go to NYCFC, but then went back for two yeah. more years. So I was there for a full, full 10 years. So anyway. Right. Yeah. Jeez. Amazing. Amazing. Well, the last, the last thing I want to kind of talk about here is that transition of, you know, from pro soccer to whatever's next in life. Right. Because as athletes, <laughs> yeah. our career playing wise is over before we're 40. And so if you're like me, which I know you are, I didn't really think about much else other than playing pro sports. It was the only thing I wanted to do. And it was the only thing I really had dreamed about for a long time. And you do it and you're done and you didn't make millions and millions of dollars and you have to do something else, but there's nothing else that you're really passionate about. So what was that? What was that like when you, um, you're in Salt Lake. And yeah. You're so, kind of so like, yeah, this is, look, I was exactly it. the same as you. I never thought about anything else in my life. I never cared about anything else in my life. Uh, I've never had what I would call a, a real job or a regular job. Um, literally never, never worked yeah. a day in my life outside of, of playing soccer and, and, you know, certainly owe my parents a lot of credit for allowing me to do that. Um, but, uh, so what happened was at yeah. the end of 2017, I was still trying to play another year. And so I went into, um, into, to Weibel, our boy Weibel, uh, who was GM at the time. And I basically, in a nutshell, yeah. I knew I was going to have to take a pay cut. I'd already taken a big pay cut, um, my last year. And then I went into Weibel and I said, listen, I want to, I want to play another year. Basically, let's not talk about the numbers. You just let me know if you want me to play another year, and then we can we can find a common ground there. And he was like, okay, there's a couple of scenarios where we'd like you yeah. back, and there's a couple of scenarios where we wouldn't, and we'll move on. Okay, that's fair enough, you know. And so that kind of carried on for a few months. I know that that Mike Pecky and his staff went into Weibel and um, and basically said, "Hey, we'd love to have Chris back, even if he's not going to be a starter for us." They had. Uh, Danny Acosta waiting in the wings, who was a, a, a real top young left back uh, at the time. We had Damar, uh, who was another uh, left back of the team. And so that's a good option. Tony Beltran was one of the best right backs in the league. So, um, so it was kind of a waiting game for a little while. I looked into a couple of other opportunities, um, but I was going to be pretty – pretty specific in terms of narrowing it down. I think I would have been interested in a place like LAFC, John Thornton, uh, and Bob, if that was an opportunity, but it really wasn't. So anyway, that carried on for a few months into the offseason. And all of a sudden I started realizing, you know, I don't think this is going to happen. They're not really giving me a good offer. Either. And, um, and so I, I got to start thinking about moving on. And I was actually out in, in Utah, uh, at the time when I when I when they hit me, when I realized, and I wasn't playing, uh, but it kind of hit me. I said, "It looks like this isn't gonna this isn't gonna happen. I'm gonna have to hang them up unless you know I wanted to get uh, kind of desperate and and um, really just start to find anything, which wasn't the case at the time. I was I wanted to play another season, but I was also I, I was kind of ready yeah. as at the same time, and um, I was a little bit in between, and so. Um, yeah. so it hit me and what happened was I did, I had a lot going on that day 
I was up in Park City and I remember I didn't work out. And at the end of the day, all of a sudden I realized, I said, I don't have to feel guilty about this. That's kind of work out. I don't have to feel But he said, there's <laughs> definitely a little time there where, you know, you're, you're a little bit freaked out. What am I going to do? I've never done anything else. Uh, so certainly that's a normal, a normal feeling. I got some really good advice from a couple guys. Um, Grabovoy and Nat Borchers in particular. Uh, Nat uh, had some great advice for me. One was he told me even in my last year, because he had retired a year before me, he said, meet with everybody you can. And so I took that to heart. I started reaching out. To, and he was like, you'll be surprised at the meetings you can get. Even if it's not a direct connection, it's, we're one degree of separation from some serious meetings. And he was spot on through Dave Checkin, our, our old yeah, owner. Yeah. And, um, the founder of Real Salt Lake, he actually, because I knew I was introduced, or excuse me, I, I knew I was interested in the possibility of, of being an agent, he actually introduced me to Dave, Michael, Jordan's agent. And Michael was my guy from when I was little. Um, and yeah. it, it's so funny because now David Falk's obviously playing a big role on this, The Last Dance, everybody's watching. But but it was so cool. Dave Checkett said, uh, oh, yeah. kind of told me his history it's with David amazing. Falk yeah. and how they started as as uh, Emmys and was the the GM at um, at Utah Jazz and then at the Knicks and he said but but now they have a great relationship so he said when are you going to DC and I was in DC in August and uh, Dave Falk was nice enough to take me out to lunch and so that was like so cool to me um, so anyway that was great advice from Borch and that's incredible and yeah told back to what we were saying before which is he was ready because there was no next thing. What I mean by that is that, um, Chris, he's like, it's always the next thing. Like you make, you make this team, you want to be the best player in this team. You want to be the star, you want to make the next team. Then you want to make the national team. Then you want to be the, the starter on the next team. Then you want to be the star on that team. And then you want to win the championship. And he was like, there's no next thing anymore for me. He was like, yeah, of course I can yeah. try to win another championship, but I've won a couple championships and you know, and if you want to still play, you want to still play, and you have that love and yep. that motivation. Of course, you should just keep playing. But for me personally, this is Ned speaking. He said, "I've I've done it. Like whatever there else there is, it's not going to change. You know, when I look back on it, if I play one more year, it's not going to change anything, good or yep. bad." And I, I thought that was a, a really interesting perspective. And I couldn't see it at the time, yep. but after 2018, I look back, I was so happy that I didn't play because what would have happened if I had played is I would have, I would have been on the team. I would have been making very money. Danny or whoever it was, some young guy would have been starting over me yeah. and that would have bothered me as the competitor that I was. And I'm sure I would have felt like yep. I, sh I should have been the starter. Yep. Uh, and, and it would have been really hard to train the way I was pr proud of train training for my whole career, which is, Doing all those little things, in the ice tubs, you know, getting the massage weights and, and running and staying fit, even when you're not yep. playing 90 minutes a, a game. And, you know, those things that I really took pride in, when you know no matter how hard you train or how good you're doing, you're not on the weekend, that motivation goes away. Or at least for me. I mean, you got to be a really rare human to, to have it that, does, yeah. you know? And so for me, I no, just – um, yeah, I, I was everybody. looking back on it. I was really glad I didn't play because of that. And it gave me a chance to, to get ready for what's next. I was, 
um, fortunate is the wrong term here because that's going to sound the wrong way. But in my situation, I was fortunate to not um, have a family. And what I mean by that is so our friends who retire um, and it's unexpectedly um, and I get forced into it and they have a wife and kids, it's, it's got to be more nerve wracking, yeah. right? Correct. It's, it's Correct. responsibility. You and know, so you, for me, that was an advantage that I had in that case um, yeah. was, okay, it's just me. And my mom said this to me and my mom is like a really hard worker. So this hit home for me. She was like, you don't owe it to anybody to like get a job in your first week. Like take, take your time. Like you have, you know, uh, certainly uh, as you and I know, it's not like I had a ton of, of money saved up. We weren't making millions, but I was in a fine situation financially. I, I wasn't living paycheck to paycheck. For me to coast for a little while and take my time yep. and figure out what it was I wanted to do, set up some meetings, travel a little bit, um, have some conversations was a, a, a real um, good way to, to handle it. And that's exactly what I did. I took about nine months um, to kind of consider what was next. And then Duncan Ryan, Duncan out yeah. and Ryan Nelson came and, and offered me a job and it was kind of good timing. And so anyway, that's, um, that's kind of how it went. And, and just to quickly also touch on deciding to be an agent versus the other things because um, I know that was part of your question. Part of that was when I went through the, the collective bargaining agreement in 2015 yeah. um, as a player rep, and, and our, our boy John was um, you know, part yeah. of the players' union at the time, and I talked to him extensively. He's always been um, just a great kind of mentor for me, and I, I called John a lot to ask him for advice. And I said, how did – because he's such a sharp guy, and I said, how did you go through what you were going to yeah. do when you retire because he's – so smart and has, um, you know, such a great pedigree. Um, and he really helped me through that process. And cause I was thinking the same thing going through that CBA, I realized the passion I had for helping the players. So I didn't know what that meant. I didn't meaning, uh, how I was going to transition into a job and do that. So I didn't know if that meant, um, being a part of the union or being a part of a team and trying to help players or being part of an agency and trying to help the next, you know, generation of players. Um, so I, di- I didn't really know, uh, but I considered all those things and uh, being able to spend some time with, with Ryan and Duncan and just have a, a ton of meetings, um, too many that I could even, you know, it would take a long time to even just, but a lot of people I owe, um, I owe for taking that time to, <laughs> yeah. to meet with me and just help me through the process. And so I always try to, to do the same if anybody reaches out to me because that was invaluable. Well, man, um, I got to say, this has been an amazing conversation, so insightful on so many levels. And I think that all of our listeners are going to take a lot from this. Um, right now, our yes. two podcast is Mr. Chris Aloisi. And so <laughs> it tells me that this one is going to. Uh, well, one, one, way, one way or another, you know, you, man, I'm going to be giving him crap person. or he's going to be giving but, me crap. So. <laughs> It's oh, yeah, amazing. It's boy. amazing. Well, I think yeah, if you if you have our boys like Ralphie or McGee or one of these guys yeah. on there, to blow me and Al Alicia out of the water. So, oh man, yeah. 
Jeez, but hey, I want to say thank awesome, you. Awesome, brother. So you know, much. I always I love chatting with so you, and I hope we get to uh, to meet up in person it. again soon when all this is over. Okay, buddy. Yeah, tell Cassie and the kids I said hi. Oh, can't wait. Can't right, wait, my friend. Right. All right, buddy.